This is Judaism 101.9 with Rabbi Michael Katz of Elovo. Hi, and a very good afternoon to you. Coming to you just a little bit later than usual at 12 minutes past 2 on this beautiful Wednesday afternoon up here in the Highfield. Yes, it's been a little bit chilly. And um, sorry that I wasn't with you last week due to a bout of the flu or colds or a chest infection, whatever you want to call it. Um, trying to get rid of it. Hope I don't cough too much on this um here program, but um, we'll try and stay as verbal as possible um, <laughs> during the next 45 minutes or so that we have at our disposal. And of course, yes, um, we are well into the throes of the three weeks. And this period known as the three weeks, otherwise in uh, Torah literature known as Bain HaMetzarim, which is actually a name that is borrowed from the Book of Lamentations, which talks about um, being kind of between the straits or between the strictures or between the fences. And the outer fences of this period of time are the two fasts that come at either end of this three-week period. So the first one we had on this past Sunday. Now, Sunday was actually already the 18th day in the month of Tammuz, and the fast itself is really called the 17th of Tammuz. So yes, you guessed it, the fast fell out on Shabbat and therefore was deferred. It was pushed off by a day. That is what we do when fast days other than Yom Kippur fall out on a Shabbat. We defer them. We push them off. We do not have them on the day itself because Shabbat is not a day of mourning. It's not a day of sadness. And any fast day that is related to sadness, which basically is all the other fasts other than uh, Yom Kippur itself, which has got nothing to do with sadness whatsoever. But these fasts, particularly, that have to do with sadness, with times of mourning, with um, the uh, thinking about times of destruction and difficulty, have no place on a Shabbat. Shabbat actually knocks them out completely. And there is definitely an opinion that um, they should be knocked out entirely. However, it is uh, halachic practice that they are deferred that we do fast, but we only fast on the Sunday, and that was what happened this last Sunday, 17th of Tammuz fast, which was deferred to the 18th. And in three weeks exactly to the day after that is Tisha B'Av. So yes, from this coming Shabbat, two weeks will be the ninth of Av, and once again the fast will fall out on a Shabbat. And since it falls out on Shabbat, which is, I think, around about the 22nd of the month, it is deferred, it is pushed off, and therefore will only be um, kept, the fast day will only be fasted upon on the Sunday, the day afterwards. Those two um, fasts on either end of this three-week period, and it's an exactly three-week period, 21 days to be exact, they are called the restrictions, the strictures, the outer fences, and the period of time that's in between is otherwise known as the three weeks or Bain HaMetzarim, between these strictures, between these difficulties, between these straits, that is the period of time that we are in at the moment. And so today, to explore a little bit what are the things that we should be doing, the things that we shouldn't be doing, the things that we should be thinking about, and certainly to try and put a little bit of an angle on it as to where and what we should really be focused on. What should we be thinking about, and um, how should we be behaving during this awesome three-week period? So let's begin by thinking about what actually happened at this time. Well, if we go back in um, 
Jewish history all the way back to the time when the Jewish people were in the desert. These two strictures, these two outer fences, these two dates, the 17th of Tammuz and Tisha B'Av, that bound this period um, of these three weeks, actually occurred then. They came to the fore then as being days of great calamity. The first one, the 17th of Tammuz, was the day on which Moses descended from the mountain, tablets in hand, having been on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights, nights since Shavuot. Here he came down to find the people in disarray, worshipping a golden calf. And so the day on which the Jewish people worshipped the golden calf was the 17th of Tammuz, letting the tablets fall to the ground, smash, and um, then have to wait for another Two periods of 40 days before the second set were actually brought to the Jewish people, which was actually on Yom Kippur. And yes, you guessed it from the 17th of Tammuz to Yom Kippur is exactly 80 days. Um, that period of time, um, of course, warrants certain mention as well. But the first date, then the 17th of Tammuz in the desert, was the day on which... The tablets of stone were broken. The Jewish people were worshipping a golden calf. The Jewish people were in disarray. And we were then designated to spend a lot longer in the desert than we had originally anticipated. The second one, which is Tisha B'Av, also occurred in the desert. It was the time when the spies came back from um, visiting Israel. Um, remember, Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses, had sent spies to check out the land of Israel. They came back, ten of them with a bad report, only two of them with a positive angle on the conquest of Israel. And these ten with a bad report caused the people to cry that night the Jewish people once again in disarray feeling despondent feeling dejected they cried and they cried that night it was Tisha B'Av and Hashem gave us reason then to cry for the duration of the period of time that followed it that we were in the desert because it was on Tisha B'Av that everybody all 600,000 people who were present that day and who cried that day had to perish in the desert over the period of 40 uh, 40 years, 15,000 per year, we are told, on Tisha B'Av itself. So it has its foundations all the way back then. But later on in Jewish history, it became better known for the days on which, A, the temple was destroyed, Tisha B'Av itself, two Batei Migdash, two temples destroyed, and B, and bringing it earlier forward, the day on which the walls of Jerusalem were breached, leading to the destruction of the temple, which was on the 17th of Tammuz. The period of time in between was a time of conquest, the time of um, real persecution and difficulty for the people inside those walls, inside Yerushalayim, Irakodesh, inside the holy city of Jerusalem. Now, this is Judaism 101.9 with Rabbi Michael Katz of Elova. So yes, this period of time, period of mourning, period of sadness, and it is roughly divided into two parts. There are the first 11 or 12 days, and that is followed up by what is known as the nine days. The nine days are the first days in the month of Av, which will begin on Friday a week, and uh, that day of the Ninth uh, of Av is the day on which, um, of course, the temples were destroyed. The nine days leading up to it are days on which there is a tremendous amount more to mourn about. 
more intense sadness. And during that period of time, we're even limited in the things that we are or aren't permitted to eat. We refrain from eating anything during those nine days of meat or of wine value, and uh, that is obviously with the exclusion of Shabbat. But let's talk about this period that we're in now. The first part of it is a less intense period of mourning. And this period of mourning, um, really, the uh, Judaism 101.9 instruction right now is that we are not allowed to have any weddings. So weddings are not allowed to take place. However, engagement parties without music are allowed until Rosh Chodesh Av. We're not allowed to play musical instruments. That's, of course, unless it is your particular um, profession. That is something that you have to do in order to earn a living. We also do not listen to instrumental music, and that is particularly live music. There are all sorts of questions about music that is played, for instance, over the radio waves and so on. And the uh, tradition is that we don't listen to it, and that is why on this radio show you will hear this um, a cappella kind music, because it's not instrumental, we are permitted to hear. The uh, words of the mouth We are permitted to hear singing But instrumental music is taboo We also do not recite the bracha Shehechianu Shehechianu is a bracha that is said A blessing that is said Upon the wearing of new clothing, well, we shouldn't put on any new clothing During this period of time It is also said, perhaps, if we eat a new fruit that wasn't yet available or we haven't eaten yet this season and uh, would warrant us making a bracha shechianu. We avoid that as well. And it is a uh, tradition amongst most to do that even on the Shabbats, the Shabbases that are in between, that for the duration of this period of time, we do not say the bracha shechianu. We also do not shave or take haircuts. Haircuts are not permitted during this period of time. And all of these things, all of these factors are factors that um, dominate a style and a period of mourning, of sadness. We are mimicking the concept of mourning in a very, very practical fashion. All of these things, weddings, public entertainment, taking of haircuts, um, saying the bracha shechianu would all apply to a mourner, and particularly a mourner in the most intense times of mourning, God forbid, for the loss of a dearly beloved one. But perhaps we have to take a look at and think about um, what a period of mourning is actually all about from a halachic, from a Jewish, Judaism 101.9 point of view. Why do we mourn? What is mourning really all about? If we think about it, there are two clear um, ideals when it comes to the period of mourning. The first one is that we try to strengthen not the memory necessarily, but the soul of the person, of the individual for whom we are mourning. We try to add, do extra mitzvot, do extra things, learn a little bit more, study a bit more, and make sure that we're a little bit more involved in, that we're a little bit more involved in the things for which the uh, that person stood so if that person was a uh, person who did all sorts of acts of kindness and charity in their honor and in their merit of course we're going to do more of those acts of kindness and charity if that was a person who liked to study torah we try and study torah but that is not the be all and end all of it we try and fill in the gaps because perhaps that person that individual needed a little bit more um, of our kind of, let's call it, donated mitzvot that we're adding to their wherewithal and we're giving to them in order to be able to carry forth 
um, with their souls as they go ever higher, as they're elevated from stage to stage in eternal life. At the same time, there is a an entire uh, realm of Jewish law which has to do with the mourner, the mourner themselves. What does a mourner do during this period of time, and what part of the mourning period actually pertains to the mourner? Well, a tremendous amount, and one, not the least of which is um, the idea that we invite a mourner like in, back into the community. There is the concept, right from the get-go of uh, a period of mourning, there is the concept of people bringing you food. You remember that idea that when a person, uh, God forbid, loses somebody, they come back from the funeral, and uh, immediately they are served a meal and everybody knows that that meal it's like kind of standard practice that everybody knows that that meal consists of a bagel and an egg and the bagel and the egg are not necessarily both necessary Um, it could be either or the idea is that it is something round which connotes the idea of the cycle of life that just as we have been through a tragedy, through a difficulty, through a, a harsh downturn in uh, what this life has uh, dealt up for us, it um, is going to rejuvenate. It's going to regenerate. Life is going to start all over again. And the cycle of life depicted by something round and, of course, the symbol of the egg being uh, something that is about to be born. But remember that uh, the main reason why a a person is given that meal is that it is served from a non-mourner, that people come and they demonstrate to the mourner that the community is going to be looking after you. You're not alone. We're here in your time of sorrow. We're here in your time of sadness. We're here to be with you. We are here to comfort you. We're here for you to have a shoulder to cry on and to lean on. And um, we are inviting you to spend time thinking about all the things that you need to think about. And we're going to take care of all the physical stuff for you. You're going to be catered to. You're You're going to have food brought to you. You're going to have all of that stuff done. And this is really the main idea behind the bringing of that first meal to the mourners is the idea that the community are taking responsibility for you. You can literally relax in your mourning and mourn properly and without having to worry about all these mundane and physical things. At the same time, we uh, try and instruct a mourner not only to spend time memorializing and remembering and doing all the things for which that uh, soul of the departed is going to benefit, but actually there is a benefit for the mourner themselves. We bring them into the community. If it's a male mourner, we invite him into the community to say Kaddish. And what is Kaddish? If we look back in the history of Kaddish, Kaddish really probably stems from the uh, bedside um, um, discussion that was held between Jacob and his sons. When Jacob was about to leave this world, his sons gathered all around him, and uh, Jacob, Yaakov Avinu, was about to reveal to them the end of days. Unfortunately, at that moment, he realized that that prophecy was taken from him, and suspecting that maybe one of his sons had... uh, Let's call it gone off the rails a little bit and was not um, that in touch with the Judaism and the Torah and the learning and the godliness of his father. He became concerned and he asked his sons, are you guys with me or aren't you? Is there anybody in the room? who perhaps has something that would have warranted that this prophecy was now taken away from me. And I cannot reveal to you what will be in the end of days, what will be when Mashiach comes. 
The sons said to him, Shema Yisrael, hero Israel. Listen, Israel, of course, that was his name. Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad. The Lord is our God. The Lord is one. And he famously responded, Baruch Shem Kavod Malchuto Leolam Va'ed. Now I have a guarantee that the name of God will be remembered forever and ever. Now I know that God's dominance, his power, will not only be in this world, but it will be in the next as well. And in fact, this is what we do as mourners, saying Kaddish is a proclamation, actually, of Baruch Shem Kavod Malchuto Leolam Va'ed in the verse that we all know well in Aramaic. Yahei Shmei Rabbah Mavorach Lo'olam Ulolmei Omaya is exactly the same as Baruch Shem Kavod Malchuto Leolam Va'ed. That's what we're saying. God's name will be blessed forever and ever. It is kind of a statement that we are making as mourners. That although we don't have you, my dear, beloved, departed father, my dear, beloved, departed parent, loved one, although I don't have you, I'm giving you the guarantee. I'm telling you now that what you stood for is going to continue, that your ways are going to be perpetuated, that your Torah and your mitzvot, that everything that you had and everything that you stood for is going to continue. It's going to continue through me. I'm not giving up. And I am telling you that the name of God is going to be perpetuated and it's going to be mentioned and it's going to be praised ad infinitum. And therefore, whether in this world or in the next, that godliness is still going to exist. And if we think about this as a kind of a prototype and a kind of a description of what our periods of mourning are really all about, yes, of course, there is sadness. Yes, of course, there is grief. Yes, of course, there's crying. We wouldn't be human if there wasn't. But our real style and our real way from a Jewish point of view is to not only move forward, but to actually take a period of mourning and turn it into something that is far more positive, that we're sending out a positive message of the fact that while you may not be here, my dear beloved one, we're still here and we're still doing the things that uh, you stood for and that you wanted from us. And so therefore, I think when we come to this period of mourning, the three weeks and building up to the nine days, this period of time called Bain HaMetzarim between these two pillars of difficulty, the 17th of Tammuz and Tisha B'Av, is it not much more necessary for us to focus on the positive, to think about what we should be doing in order to demonstrate that we're still here? You know, God, we had a temple that stood for uh, no less than 830 years between the two Batei Migdash, between the two temples that stood in Yerushalayim, in Jerusalem, with a gap of 70 years in between them. There was uh, this 830-year period during which the glory of God was visible in those Batei Migdash, in those temples in Jerusalem. That holy spot, that holy space, that holy place where uh, Jacob had lain down to rest and spend the night and saw a sulam mutzab arza. He saw a ladder that uh, stretched up heavenwards and the angels were uh, ascending and descending on that uh, very, very ladder in his vision, in his dream. That very spot where Yitzchak Avinu, where Isaac was offered up, or the attempted offering, the Akedat Yitzchak took place, that very spot where our temple stood, unfortunately those temples are no more. The spot still exists, and yes, it has been the subject of so much debate and so much difficulty over the centuries, but that very spot where our holy western wall is, where our holy temple used to stand, that temple is no more, but we're still here.
And we're still sending that message, not only of love, but that message of adoration to God. We're sending that message of how much we believe and how much we know that if we and when we do things that we're meant to be doing and we keep to the Torah and its mitzvot, that um, we know that the temple that stood in Yerushalayim, at least a third of the mitzvot um, were taken away from us. The tragedy, the calamity, the difficulty of having lost the temple in Yerushalayim is something huge and momentous. But that's not how Jews look at um, the loss of anything, of an individual, of a human being, of a, of a person, of a parent, God forbid, or of our temple. It's rather it is gone. It is something that we now need to work on getting back. We need to continue to believe. We need to continue to do. We need to continue to make sure that Baruch Shem Kvod Malchutoli Olam Va'ed, that God's name is praised, that our mitzvot are performed, that our Torah is studied, that our attitudes and our actions speak louder than the words that we say. Because it's easy to say I'm sad and it's easy to say I'm in mourning. But sometimes that is a defeatist attitude and sometimes that's an attitude that leads us to the wrong conclusions. This should be a time that we turn into the most positive period of time. It should be a time that we fill with doing so much good. So much energy should be dedicated to turning this time around and making it not into a period of mourning, but rather into a period of rebirth, of regrowth. And of strengthening our very foundations in order to make sure that we get our temple back soon. This is Judaism 101.9 with Rabbi Michael Katz of Elovo. So it's known as a period of mourning these three weeks, but it is also a period when we've got to really think about what Jewish mourning means. We um, are not frightened by mourning. It's not a period where we are standing in trepidation and um, shaking in our boots and thinking there is absolutely nothing that we can do and literally wishing the time away and uh, kind of uh, uh, closing our souls off and not being able to function, not being able to do anything. That's completely the antithesis of what Judaism would want from us. So Judaism 101.9 wants you to know that during this period of time, we actually need to be doing positive stuff. We've got to be involved in positive actions. We've got to be involved in um, upgrading our mitzvot, in doing a little bit more in the realm of mitzvahs, and particularly to focus on and to think about the things that we are told by our sages contributed to the destruction of the temple. Firstly, the temples were destroyed, we're told, because of idol worship. Now, idol worship, we might say, doesn't apply to us at all today. It is something that really, really is uh, so far from um, what we are all about. But perhaps we've got to think about the idol worship that we have in uh, worshipping certain things or uh, certain parts or certain facets of life, such as the worship that we have for money or the adoration that we have for people who have money or who are rich and famous. Or perhaps it is the idol worship of um, thinking about ourselves as being uh, the be-all and end-all of everything and therefore um, an arrogance and a pride and a self-pride and a self-centeredness that perhaps creeps into our armory. And maybe that idol worship needs to be worked upon and that idol worship needs to be thwarted and that idol worship needs to be taken down and um, uh, lowered 
at least a notch or two during this period of time. Or perhaps it is in the realm of uh, the fact that it was sinat chinam, hatred, unnecessary hatred, unnecessary um, uh, nastiness or unnecessary um, uh, lack of concern for each other that helped to destroy the temple. And of course, the Torah, the Talmud is replete with all sorts of stories and all sorts of examples of what it was and how it was that um, this lack of concern for each other or a pure out-and-out nastiness or hatred for no reason actually brought about the destruction of the base amygdash, brought about the destruction of the temple. We need to make sure, we need to ensure that we too are working in that realm. Remember that things that you do and things that you say and things that you're involved in can have a consequence on other people's lives. They can impact. Be a little bit more careful in the things that you say. Be a little bit more kind in the way that you phrase things and the way you put things across. We're living in an age and in a world where um, all sorts of niceties have been taken out of the way we communicate. That's not necessarily our fault and uh, um, there is probably no way that we can circumvent the type of communications that we now have, whether it's on Facebook or it's on Twitter or it's on SMS or on email, that uh, the niceties are gone. But how about just trying to be a little bit nicer, not only in the tones that you use, but being careful about the things that you say and the things that you do and being a little bit kinder to other people, a little bit nicer, a little bit more pleasant, a little bit more um, in touch with uh, the feelings and the needs of other people. Isn't this the realm and the area where we need to try and focus our attention during this period of time? Because undoubtedly, if the temple was destroyed and if we think about the fact that the, the destruction of the temples led directly to a period of mourning during which marriages don't pl- take place, one of the reasons that marriages don't take place during this period of time is because people aren't getting along. If people weren't getting along, that's why there was destruction. Well, please don't go and make marriages and don't set up families and don't try and structure um, long, lifelong uh, relationships if you actually cannot get along on a simple down-to-earth level um, with each other. And therefore, that needs to be worked on. And during this period of time, during these three weeks, in these three weeks, our Avat Yisrael, our love for our fellow man, our concern for each other, our attitudes towards, towards each other need to be worked on. They need to, to be uh, improved upon. And every single one of us can improve a little bit in this realm. And so that is perhaps the way that we need to turn this period of mourning into a positive period of time. This is Judaism 101.9 with Rabbi Michael Katz of Elovo. And welcome back. Yes, and just to sum up, we're in a period of mourning, a period of what is known as the three weeks. One of the images, actually, that is taken from the Haftorah that we're going to be reading on this coming Shabbat, and of course, during this period of time, there are three special Haftorahs, three special um, Shabbat additional readings that are done on this week and next week and the week thereafter, these three periods of time, these three weeks of mourning are coupled with three special Haftorahs. And the Haftorahs are all 
kind of admonishing. They are difficult for us to stomach. They talk about um, uh, things that our prophets were warning against, um, whether it be in the realm of idol worship or the realm of self-pride or the realm of self-importance or the realm of a lack of avat Yisrael or its mere adherence to God and to godliness. That is what these are all about. But embedded in them are the images of the redemption because we talk about the idea of almonds blossoming. And when we talk about the idea of almonds blossoming and coming to fruition, we're told that it actually takes 21 days from the blossom to the almond to actually be um, ready upon the tree. The image of an almond, um, which is uh, much more than just a nut, the almond is a, a an epitome of how quickly God's fruit can come to fruition. And when we think about that, we think about the fact that very, very soon, very speedily, very quickly, all of the things that we do and all of the things that we are invested in can and will bear fruits. And it will happen very speedily. It will happen very quickly. This period of three weeks is not a period of time to simply be downtrodden, to be downcast, to be sad, to be melancholy. It is a time when we need to put ourselves into the headspace of understanding what what it was that we lost, what it is that we need to work towards, and how we're going to get there, how we're going to bring it back. What are we going to do to make our lives different, to make our relationship with Hashem different, and to make our relationship with each other just that much better? And if that is where we focus and that is what we do, I have no doubt that each and every one of us will be able to then really start in a very, very spiritual, but in a very practical realm, laying the foundation for the fruition, for the fruits to uh, be born, for um, the uh, turnaround to take place, for the fact that our temple at the moment lies in ruins, but that it will be and it can be very, very speedily rebuilt. And so we hope and pray that this period of three weeks, this Baina Metzarim, will no longer be that way, but that it will be turned around and it will be made in days of great success and great in days of great joy, and that in the future we will be celebrating at this period of time the fact that we have a Beit HaMikdash, that we have our temple back, that we got it back through all our hard work and all our dedication and all our commitment and all our understanding of the fact that this period of time is a time for fixing rather than for breaking, a time of repair rather than a time of despair. And if we keep that focus and we make sure that that is what, 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 what occupies our headspace during this period of time, I have no doubt that very, very soon we'll be heralding the arrival of Mashiach. May he come speedily in our time with the rebuilding of the temple and the turnaround for the Jewish people that um, we've hoped and prayed for for so many years. I wish you a great Shabbat up ahead. Enjoy the rest of your week and look forward to speaking with you again next week, same time, same place on Judaism 101.9.